Welcome to the 624 Pod, your home for all things independent films. We're going to discuss all the positives and negatives when it comes to independent filmmaking. We're going to have incredible guests from the film industry talk about the behind the scenes experience, the good, the bad, the ugly, and how the industry has changed in the past 10, 20 minutes. Yeah, minutes, hours, years. years. That's the point. It's always changing. And of course, we will always focus on independent filmmaking right here in our state of New Jersey. I'm Tom Baldinger. And I'm Mark Rigadana. All right, let's do this. All right, so uh, so Mark, this is uh, season two, and we have uh, another episode of season two. A couple episodes done. This is going to be our should be our third episode. And super uh, excited for this week. No, we've got a we've got a great guest this week. Uh, this uh, this gentleman has done everything. Yeah, he's done TV. He's done movies. He's done plays. He's a writer. Uh, we'd like to introduce Dan Loria. Dan, thank you so much for coming on to the show of Six Twenty Four Pod. Uh, why don't you wait before you thank me? But yeah, it's a great pleasure to be here. So we, I, I had the pleasure. We had the pleasure of working with Dan on our pilot of Unsuited a couple of years ago. That uh, we're we're actually going to be screening it down in uh, in Florida at the World Poker Tour. We're really excited about that. Yeah. Um, but um, Dan, thank Which you. Which so- was actually a lot of fun to work on. We really uh, we had a few laughs that day. Remember? Yeah, we, we did, and that and just uh, just having you on set, and uh, you know, you you taught me a couple great things, and uh, we we had dinner uh, last week, and you've taught me even so much more. Uh, and uh, Dan, before you know, I don't mean, let's 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 talk about your play. Let's talk about this play that you wrote. Um, tell us about it. Well, um, the play is about two older comics, a man and a woman who have dementia and every day they meet on a bench, they end up writing comedy and they fall in love all over again. That's it. Just told you the whole play. That actually sounds like heaven. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, uh, what might be a little different about it for your viewers. I hope they'll come and see it. It's, I mean, you can't write a full upper about dementia, but there's a lot of laughs and it's not about the family. It's just the two of them and how, regardless of what happens, the creative spirit doesn't die. Yeah. That's beautiful. Not like, not like in the film industry, they're doing all they can to kill it. So, uh, (laughs) so talk, talk, well, what's, um, where can people find uh, some information about, about the play? Okay, there's we have a website. It's called justanotherday.theater. Nice. And you'll Great. see there all the reviews. And uh, we did it upstate New York. We did it in the Berkshires. And we got, we had five reviews and it was like my mother wrote them. So, you know, a little bribery goes a long way, I guess. I don't know. But, uh, the, they seem to like it. And I'll tell you, though, you know, fellas, uh, the, the truth is, I, I'm, you know, all these people say, oh, I don't read the reviews. Oh, I don't care what they say. That's a lot of crap. You know, you get a bad review. It hurts. You get a good review. It's a little pat on the back for all the work you've done. Yeah. yeah. But in, in the case of this play, I think the best comment I heard was at a Q&A afterwards, a woman in her 40s got up and said, uh, I'm dealing with my mother who's going through dementia. Thank mm. you for not making them stupid. That to me is, I wish 
everybody before they buy a ticket could see that. And I think it yeah. sets them up great for coming in. Well, that, that and it's awesome coming from a real person and not a critic to say something. Because, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the person who comes to see it might not necessarily, uh, nothing against it, because hopefully the critics are saying very nice things. But um, I, you said on our podcast that, you know, critics see too much. Yeah, they do. They, so everything is in comparison. I mean, I, I think we, I don't know, what is our choice? I mean, this is interesting. I, I didn't plan to talk about this, but um, do we rely on critics who talk, who have seen too much? So everything is in comparison. Mm. Or do you want to rely on your neighbor next door who said, oh, I saw this thing and it made me laugh. And she wore such beautiful dresses. More people are going by what's said on Facebook, which has no background. Mm, yeah. Or do we go with critics who have too much and are comparing you with anything? I don't know. I, I do what Charles Durning does. I look, read everything, bad reviews, good reviews. But what I'm looking for is consistency. If five reviewers say, I hate this element of the play, well, then maybe, maybe I should rewrite it. Mm. Yeah. Instead of just ignoring it. And if five critics say, I, I love this idea, then maybe in rewrite, that's where the enhancement of the play should be. So I think they have to be used. But I don't know. You know, it's like a lot of things that's going on right now. Do we rely people's opinion on Facebook who are, you know, the depth of what they've seen is minimal, very shallow? Yeah, or do we rely on the critics who are comparing you to everything and, and really bragging about what they know mm. in their own writing as opposed to what you're doing? You know, well, it's funny. You know, you you turn on the TV, you see a movie, right? On whether it's HBO or Showtime, whatever it may be, and you'll see if you see they they have the they have the critics review the Rotten Tomatoes, and then they yeah. have a, a popcorn thing, right? And the popcorn thing's the audience, and there have been so many films, especially recently. Mm -hmm. That scene that show you know the show a, a rotten tomato a green rotten tomato which means the critics hated it but then you see audience you know eighty percent popcorn so to your point like who do you believe right yeah. or you see the opposite you see the the critics loving it and audiences hate it so yeah. it, it's 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 so it's like the wild wild west of reviews yeah, yeah and, and most actors and you're gonna find this with unsuited as it goes out to critics yeah and most actors have gone through this you will get a horrible review and then the next paper gives you a rave and the critics both saw the same performance. <laughs> How does that happen? Well, it's just so I, I had one, I did Willie Holtzman's play hearts up at long wharf when there was a long wharf and the Hartford paper, even in the title said, Loria kills hearts mm. and the new Haven paper just went on and on like I was Brando. Laurier brings it. Not it wasn't entitled, but it was Laurier brings tears to you. They saw the same performance, but it seemed like they were having a war between Hartford and and uh, New Haven. Interesting. Sometimes you get caught up in that, you know. Now when I went to Hartford and I did a Christmas story, the same guy gave me a rave, you <laughs> know. So you get caught in these wars, and it's one of the reasons why. You know, you have to tell young actors, young writers, directors like Tom here that you got to take all this stuff in. You should look at it, but don't take it 
person. Look for how it can help you instead of just getting angry or patting yourself on the back. You know, I heard from an art professor of fine arts, like with painting and stuff, and she wanted to get out of it because she said it was constant. It had nothing to do with the actual student's art mm. because one professor will say, this is a brilliant piece of work. And then the other professor will piss all over it just to make the other professor look like an idiot. And they try to have a battle of the ego and you realize it has nothing to do with the actual kid's art it has right. to do with them. Well, you take that a step further. It's why a lot of, uh, actor, writers, directors are not at colleges teaching at the end of their careers because the academicians don't really want the professionals there. They think the professionals uh, are going to counter what they've been teaching. I know I do a lecture at colleges. It's very hard to get that first lecture, but after I'm there, I always get invited back because I'm really not saying anything that against what t people are teaching yeah and and dan you said something earlier you said that you know the film industry has changed so much it's whether talk talk to talk to us talk to our audience about you know how you've seen film the industry itself change in the past 10 20 30 40 years well it's uh it's it's major and i i don't know uh, how far dumb we can make the audience but the biggest misconception is it's about money. It never was, never will be about money. It's about power. Mm. Lemley wanted more than Douglas Fairbanks Sr. He wanted more power than him. Jack Warner wanted more power than Errol Flynn. You know, the 70s, all these independents, Warren Beatty, what did, they made all these great independent movies because they wanted the power over it. Well, now all the power is in the editing machine. It's no longer an editor sitting there with a director. It is done mechanically and so quick. So we've gone from telling stories to cutting on every line, a face on every line. Uh, if you see, uh, I think Mark Scorsese is one of the greatest directors that ever lived, his early work. But you mm -hmm. go see the movie now that's out there with uh, DiCaprio and uh, De Niro. De Niro. They're, they must have six scenes together. Not one of them is shot in a two-shot. Mm. One face, the other face. One face, the other face. There's no way in an old movie they would do that. There's no timing involved. The timing is done on the machine. And let's yeah. face it, guys. If they'll do that to probably the two two of the greatest actors that ever lived, they're going to do it to everybody. Yeah. Turn on your TV right now. Watch Criminal Minds. Watch NCIS. It's a talking head every time. A monkey can do that. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, I don't want to get political, but we've dumbed down the audience so much that Republicans voted for Trump. <laughs> so uh, I don't know how much stupider we can get. <laughs> and, and, and you know what? You left. But to prove my no, point, and I hope everyone listening to this does it. Go on your phone right now or on your laptop and Google Playhouse 90. Mm -hmm. And you will see a, it says videos. And under it, you'll see perfect, oh no, Project Immortality. And uh, my dear friend, Patty McCormick, the bad seed, who's a year older than I am, and a young unknown Michael Landon are the children of Lee J. Cobb. And the premise of the story 
is Lee J. Cobb is a great physicist who's dying of leukemia, and the government wants to put his brain in a machine. This was 1959. Yep. Wow. They were warning you about AI. And Lee J. Cobb actually has the line when he sees this giant computer, which is bigger than your studio, and he puts his hand on it, and he says to the government officials, so this is me? And the government official says, yes, and because of your knowledge, we'll be able to go to space. Medicine will be enhanced, the, the cures for disease. And then Lee J. Cobb looks at him and says, and then what? Mm. Wow. I mean, this was 1959. These were show- You can go to GE Theater, see Ronald Reagan introducing James Dean and a 15-year-old Natalie Wood and mm. the great actor Eddie Albert. And I am a fool. And watch the way it's shot with the yep. subliminal sets and the, how creative when he gets to a stable. The horses are just cut out heads. Yeah. And it's all about the dialogue and listen to the words. Now it's just one talking head after another. And I tell young directors, if you listen to me, you will be a much better director, but you'll never work again. <laughs> I, I, I totally agree with what you're saying because now whenever you write anything and somebody goes to read your writing and then talk to you about your writing they all have to bring up like well did you get the they get so technical by page two you have to have your blank and your blank and it's like what about telling a good story yeah yeah you know in the old days and, and you should watch great movies especially yeah you know, somebody like John Ford, who's considered one of the greatest directors. Most people don't realize John Ford didn't edit any of his films. Daryl Zanuck edited it. Mm. And Ford, when they brought that up to Ford, he said, doesn't matter. The way I shoot it, there's only one way to edit it. Nice. So they would, if I was doing a shot of you two, I would do a two shot. Right. And where I, and only on the key line would I come in for a close up. Right. And then, a reaction to it and go back to the two shot. So he would shoot the whole thing. They rehearse it. He'd shoot it when he was happy. He would just go in and say, just say those lines. So there was no option. And I tell young directors, and this was an old rule of thumb, try to always try to shoot a master that you would love to play as is without any cuts. Yeah. Take your time. Move the actors and not the camera. Do you think? Do you think the young? Do you think young actors today? You know, because yes, you're shooting a master shot, and and if you if you take a director who takes that approach, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think actors are are ready to give their best performance because they know? Oh, I'm just you're going to go to my coverage, so I don't need to. I don't. Yeah, need young to- actors. Well, you got to remember, young actors today, most of them have never done plays. Right. They've come out of college making ten minute movies. So how do you get a young actor? I mean, you know, and I love what you're talking about, Dan. And, and I, you know, I'm, you know, how do you get well, it? that's your job. Don't hire them. Tell them before you start, look, I'm going to shoot this scene in one. Right. And when you right. do shoot a scene in one, the rule of thumb was you shoot it in one, but you always have a cat in the window. Right. So if we were at a nightclub and I want to shoot you two at a table, there'd be a band to one side and I wouldn't put in them playing until 
afterwards, but I yeah. would shoot you in the two shot. Maybe I'd do it two or three times. And then I would take a shot of the band. That's the cat in the window. So if right. I wanted to use the beginning of one and the end of three, I cut to the cat in the window. Right. So you always cover yourself. Right. But right. your intention is I want to keep this. I want to bring the audience to the table. I don't want to go subliminally. When you cut your mind, your mind is clicking. You're going, your mind is going cut, 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 cut. Whereas if you let it sit, you are brought into the film. And, and this is why you can watch old movies over and over again. Like it's a wonderful life every Christmas. You'll cry every year because Frank Capper is trying to get you off your couch into Bedford Falls and you feel you're there, but that's done because there's long shots with, I mean, Jimmy Stewart praying at the bar, you feel like you're in the bar, mm. you know, yeah. and all that's gone now. It's all cut, 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 cut. We don't need actors. We don't need directors. Cinematographers are almost gone. It's everything's going to be shot in one light. It, and, I, and it's I, funny because Martin Scorsese was on TV the other day showing a clip from the movie, but he showed DiCaprio with the young uh, girl, the Indian actress in a car and it's there is no cut. And he mm. talked about how they ad libbed and it worked out perfect, but he couldn't show any scenes with DiCaprio and De Niro because they're cut on every line. Oh, wow. <laughs> and this is happening too. And it's sad because it's live, but with stand up comedy, uh, the younger generation of comics aren't in the storytelling because in their head, they're worried about getting their TikTok clip. Right. So they only they're worried about TikTok. They're worried minute. about PC censorship. They're worried about so many things instead of just having a few laughs, you know. I like I like to tell a long story and I, I try to get it's like cooking a meal. You're like doing little things to get it ready, and then yeah. when it's done, it's amazing. But now you watch the younger comics, they only want to work in 60 second clips. So if they don't get their laugh or their the the end of it. They, the beginning, middle, and end in 60 seconds, you can see them getting frustrated. Yeah, and, and they use the excuse that the younger generation doesn't have an attention span, but this younger generation can sit for 12 hours and play video games. So <laughs> it's, right. not, it's not about that. It's about power. You know, yeah. our, our union just went through it. Uh, I mean, there's so much strife going on now about the new contract. Was, all I know is... Uh, the people tried as best they could who negotiated it, but there's no way of stopping AI. It's taking over everything. Yeah. So I mean, I'm glad I'm old, but I don't know what you guys are going to do. I won't be. <laughs> I, I'm about to go to cooking school or something. <laughs> Dan, yeah. tell us, tell us what's going on. So what's ne What are the next steps for just another day? What's uh, what's what's next for you guys? Well, believe it or not, a two hander off Broadway at a, you know, under uh, 200 seats costs about 300 grand. Mm. And we have uh, we have it raised, luckily. That's great. And uh, I mean, we're always looking for more. It cuts down what people put in. Uh, so the plan right now is to uh, rehearse at the end of February and open in March. OK, wow. That's nice. great. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, basically, uh, I think with all these self-tapes, which I can't, which, again, is another example of power as opposed to art. 
You're talking about self-taping for auditions. Right. I, I can't yeah. see. I'm in a position now. I don't get sent up for small parts. I get sent up for big parts. And I do the self-tapes. And they're always getting pins put in me, meaning your self-tape was great. But then mm. it's always given to a bigger name who didn't self-tape. Interesting. Huh. So now we're allowed to ask, do you have offers out? And when they say not yet, I just say, let me know when your offer turns it down and I'll be glad. And I always offer to go in and audition, even if it's already cast, but they don't do live auditions anymore. It is. There's a reason why a lot of the casting directors that I knew are dropping out of the business. Wow. What were you going to yeah. say? What were you going to well, say? It, it's, a, it's a weird thing because, um, one, like I, I just did a commercial audition last night and they wanted me to tell a story so they could get my personality, get to know me. And it's like, you could just bring me in and you get to right. know me right away. <laughs> like, then, you know, right away. But now I have to like, okay, what kind of story do you think they would like? And what kind of, instead of just getting to actually know the person and going, Oh, Hey, you got a Steeler shirt on you. Steeler. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Instead it's, you know, Okay, I'll tell a story about going to Disney. Um, but I don't know. Maybe they don't want to know. Like a long no, story. they 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 don't really, really want to want to know. And and you know the compromise is so obvious. You're gonna like. I was four days away from going to Sicily to work on the show, and they gave it the part. They said I, I had it. We even filled out contract papers, but they hadn't signed yet. Well. They, the part went to an Academy Award winner and uh, uh, F. Murray Abraham, and he went. And, you know, he's a terrific guy. I was honored to be in the same sentence with him. But when he came back, I found out they used my self-tape in negotiations against him. They said, here's the final offer. If you don't take it, we're taking the guy from the Wonder Years. His self-tape was so good. And the compromise is so easy. You got an offer out to great. If I was a director, I'm going to hire my friends. I totally understand that. When I work now, it's because some director I worked with or star said, I want Dan for this. Yeah. But, and I understand that. But if, until you, if you have offers out, just have me send in my tape. Mm. You know, yeah. the last job I did on, um, oh, what's that? The, the Good Doctor. Yeah. I only got the job because this guy Michael was directing and it said Marine on it. So he said, Oh, Dan Laurie, let's get him. He's old. He's a Marine, you know? <laughs> so I go there and I thank Michael for the work. And I said, did they have self tapes for this role? He said, I don't know. It took mm. him two days to find out the casting director had actually had people self tape. And I said, Michael, I bet you it's everybody we know. And he looked at the list, too, and it was. It was all our friends. Every one of them is a good actor. Every one of them should be on the show eventually. Mm. But they make them jump to the hoops because there's no respect for acting anymore because of the mechanics and the way young people direct now. Yeah. You know? Well, you got to cut it. You got to cut it. You got to cut it. I, I can't. I get nauseous. I don't watch anything anymore. So. I, you know, you we, we, when we had dinner last week, you were telling me this about you know all these cuts that are making i don't i don't get to watch a lot of tv anymore i mean i just just don't and i was at my parents a couple of days ago and <laughs> i actually i i sat there my my folks watched that swat right or it's NCAA, oh yeah whatever so they had it on and 
I, at first, Dan, when you were telling me this, I was like, I was like, wow, is it really that bad? And I sat there for like 10 minutes and it was, it was cut, cut, cut this, cut. And I was like, I, I was actually getting nauseous. I was like, I can't, what's going once, on right once now? Once you make young people aware of it. And you they, said, uh, you said something else to me, which was very funny. You said, just show the dead body, just show the dead body, cut back yeah. to the dead body. And that's what they kept doing. So yeah. the people are talking, right? Like, so it was, a, you know, it was a, it was a dead body, a, a girl who was murdered in a car. They're not sure if it was a car accident or was she shot? Yeah. And you have, you have the, the, the NCIS people coming on and all the, the stars are coming and they would like literally mark. It was like, you would have like, maybe like, you know, 10 words to say in the sentence, you know, you'd be like the character, be like, well, I think that uh, what happened here was the, the car came across the road. The minute I say, well, what I think what happened here, boom, they cut to the dead body and you just hear my voice talking about yeah. what happened. <laughs> and it was happening all like for like the first five, it was like the opening of this. And I turned it off. I was like, Oh my God, Dan's so right. Like, <laughs> it's, oh, it was yeah. and, and young people have a hard time they, they don't understand why it's better for them to go into a room and audition right instead of looking like everybody else just your head from you know a two t shot and nobody's going to remember that i can't tell you how many times i went in and auditioned didn't get the job and a couple of months later the casting director called me and said, oh, you got the job already. They loved your last audition. You were just too ugly. This was the role that's for you. But you got to make an impression. You know, Pat McCorkle loves telling the story where I went in and rang, uh, read for a gangster. And the writer was there, the producer there, the director was there. The people who could say yes were in the room. Mm. And the phone, her phone rang. And I picked it up and I went, not now! And I hung it up. And I went on with the audition. She said, we were afraid not to hire her. <laughs> well, you can't do that over on a self-tape. You can't win over a room. But right. you're working with young kids who have never been in a room. They've never done theater. They've made 10-minute movies. They're yeah. very proficient on getting online and you know editing their little self-video. They put music on it. They do whatever they can. And you see how hard it was for me to even get on your show. I mean, I'm a Luddite. I don't know, and I don't want to know. Yeah, but I think all this is very cold and very distant and takes the spirit out of uh, takes our creative spirit and puts it into a mechanical world that I don't know how we can stop. Yeah, it's I, I don't know. That's don't what my play. That's what my play is about. The creative spirit It's just mm. no matter what disease or what affliction these people have, their creative spirit will save them so i you know i think that that you know going back to well not going back but one of my favorite all-time favorite shows growing up was nypd blue oh yeah and, yeah and that i felt that still held on to there was everything was done in that a was walk. one of the last yes one of the last it really was right everything was done in one take you saw you saw you know you saw dennis franz and jimmy smith's you know right. they would do full scenes and it was it was in one take and that camera's moving and it was yeah. also, I, it was the, also the, orig the original law and order was yeah. that way especially with exterior scenes because they yeah. didn't want to have to deal with sound yeah that's, so every was, time i did eight of those and what every time we were outside it was always in a one shot so we didn't have to worry about sound if a you bus went by it went by dan weren't you on blue were you on nypd blue no did, i i did one of the then two of those 
you did two yeah different I, characters yeah i remember that i do remember yeah that. now i denny franz i played i used to play golf with Dennis. he's a great guy <laughs> one what's it literally that that show inspired me to be a director and a writer and and i well, just that writing on that and that show go back a little go to uh you know on your youtube and go to naked city naked watch city. those you want to see some really gritty you know i said to jack klugman one day boy those naked cities are great they were so realistic i mean mm. you're out the street like that and he started laughing he said of course we were out in the street there were no studios in new right. york then so right. they had a shoot on the street yep they actually shot in real offices and real houses because there were no studios. So it, it, go back scene. to those. You want to see how to make a, a naked. Series. I'm going to have to do this now. Yeah. We we talked on the last episode about well, you it ruins when you're watching a movie and all of a sudden you can tell it's a studio and not a real place. Yeah, it, you immediately like lose respect for the show. Right. We have a theme. Yeah, I think we have a theme in, in uh, season two that it's basically we have to get to the real. Like, that's what needs to happen. Yes. Things need to become real. It's got to be. Yeah. Build. You know, don't just don't put it on. A, don't put it in the studio. Go to the location. If you have to. If you have to. Well, and unsuited, you went to uh, the casino. It was so it was, you know, it was great when we shot where the poker table was at the right. house. But it was supposed to be at a house. But when we went to the casino, it was great with that bar. It was kind of, you know, yeah. it was just a little. You could tell it was the back room of a real casino. I love that stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. no, we we were yeah we went to the showboat and uh, and the showboat uh, was the showboat does is no longer a casino. It's just it's an arcade. And on the second floor was still the poker. They still had this one huge floor, and it was called Heart and Souls. And that's why we stole that name. We were like, well, he goes to the Heart and Souls Casino. But we went in there and we rebuilt the casino to make it look like some of the, the poker room with the bar and everything. And it was it had that that feel of of, you know, like so when people, you know, we showed it to we, we've been showing it around to a couple of different people. And like I said, we're going to be showing it down in a, at the Hard Rock at the World Poker Tour uh, in yeah. a couple of days. And I I honestly audience members that are going to be sitting there going to watch are going to like that. All right, that's that's a poker room. Yeah, that's, that's a casino. Real. It wasn't it wasn't done on a on a studio and and built to make it look like it. And to your point, and to your point, you can now tell like it kind of takes you out of it. Yeah. yeah. Well, we can we can tell, but the people who get used to seeing it, they won't know the difference. Right. You know, everything will eventually be shot in front of a green screen. Oh, yeah. And if you keep feeding them that, after a while, they don't know any better. Right. We don't need. We won't even need to do uh, interviews because we can just get our AIs. What would I say? <laughs> AI, tell them. <laughs> well, the, I'll tell you how far it's gone. There was a great actor, Ed Herman, tall guy. You would recognize if you saw him. But Ed made most of his money doing audio books, and you would recognize his voice from a lot of the nature documentaries he would hmm. narrate. Well. I think it's next week. They said it was around Thanksgiving. There is a new book coming out, read by Ed Herman, and Ed's been dead for eight years. Oh, my God. And it's his voice. It's not somebody imitating him. It's his voice. I don't get it. I don't get it. It's too freaky to me. It's a little scary. But the thing is, is that my kids, I have a seven and or eight and nine-year-old now, um, they're not going to know 
no. better unless we tell them. No. They're yeah. going to just grow up going, that's the standard. That's what it is. That's what it's supposed to be. Yeah. I, uh, that's that's why I always go back to the theater, because when the curtain goes up, if you can't carry the freight, there's no line. Oh, you know, there's, so. there's, there is nothing like live theater. So, Dan, that leads me to my question here. You, you, you just hit one in my head. As a theatrical actor, as a film actor, your preparation as an actor, different, the same? Talk talk to us a little bit about that, the difference well, of your... Uh, again, I was lucky because Charles Durning was my mentor from the first day I came into New York till the day he died. I gave his eulogy. Uh, matter of fact, he and Jack Klugman, um, who was my other dear friend, uh, they died four hours apart. Wow. What on, on Christmas Eve, and I gave the eulogy at both their funerals. Holy cow! Yeah, it'll be twelve years this Christmas Eve, and wow. um, but Charles, uh, he would always say, "No, there's no difference." And we were so lucky because we did theater. Half the theater we did when we were younger were in little spaces where the front row was literally two feet from you. Yeah. Mm. So Charles always said, when you're on a set, you are performing for the toughest audience in the world, that crew. They've seen everything. They've known it. They've seen the funniest and they've seen the most tragic. Mm. If you can do it for them, just like you did it in those small theaters, then you will grow as an actor. And they crew lets you know. Uh, we had a, a great DP on the one year's named Steve Confer, and he also would operate the camera. And when we finished the scene, if he got off that camera, we knew we did it well. Mm. And yeah. if he just stayed there on that camera, we knew Start we better do another take. <laughs> wow. That's well, you know, it's funny you're saying this because uh, uh, I feel like so similar with stand up when you're on the road and you go to one of these clubs that you yeah. know, the Honey Bone in Syracuse, that manager has seen every comedian that's ever went through those doors. Yeah. So when when you get him and you can hear him laugh in the back of the room, you go, Oh, that's a good joke. Right. Because that guy heard all of them. Right. <laughs> yeah. And you learn how to make it very personal in those small rooms. So when you get to the big room, you know, you do the setup line to the whole audience, but you do the punchline to an individual. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the rules of comedy that goes way back. Yeah. I used to talk that when you play a big room, you got to make it personal. Mm, yeah. He always said you do the setup to the audience. And the punchline to one person land it. Everybody grabs it. Yeah. That's awesome. That's beautiful. Cause it's so true. And, and I don't, I didn't really think about it until you just said it. Wow. You know what I do? I always look one guy in the eye when I go to the punchline. Yep. uh, You got to land it somewhere or else it just. Or it dissipates. Right. (laughs) It's out. Bye joke. (laughs) all those things you learn in theater so when you say what's the difference between film or theater for me there is none uh i'm not a method actor i i learn my lines and if i have good lines i i know they will 
they will overcome me and I play into them. And Dan, if you have bad dialogue, as the older you get, you realize the worst you can do is try to make it work. <laughs> I, I go to the Robert Mitchum School of Acting when I have bad material. I say it as fast as I can. Let the audience figure it out. You know, it's funny, Dan. I, <laughs> I, it's great. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I'm just going to say it as fast as I like that. But, you know, Dan, I, I talked to, to our last guest about theater, right? And and my background is musical theater. And I... Mm-hmm. And I, I think I'm probably going to get punched in the face for saying this because I know some actors who've never done theater before. And you can tell the difference, you know, when you're working with a with an actor who's done theater and, is, and now does film versus just a, a film actor. You know, and I'm not talking about the greats. I'm talking, you know, the younger generation. Right. And you can just yeah. tell that there's a you know, and I'm not saying this because we're talking to you, Dan, but I I've worked with some other actors who were theatrical actors stand up who work who work in live audience they bring something different on set they they bring something different to the performance it's it's just and it makes as as a director as a as a you know as a you know novice director i guess you could say i am i have always found theater actors regardless of what their method is or anything are usually more team players team players and makes the job for me personally as a director makes the job so much easier because they're they get it you know they they've they they understand what's being said. They understand their motive. You know, they have a motivation. They know what's going on. What brought me here? What makes me say this? They ask the great questions. <laughs> I just you know. So I, I also lo- feel like people in the theater when they get a you, they, it, whether you're in the theater or you're you know a TikTok star, you nail the scene and then you go okay we got to do it again. The theater guy's going to do it without without even question. a blink without even. Right. A, Okay. I, I well, we're, we're used to doing the same thing eight times a week and going yeah. back. And, uh, you know, and then again, once you're a pro, you know, if I'm working with a young film director or TV and I got to do a scene where I'm crying, usually the first two times, two, three times, uh, I actually cry, mm. you know, which usually shocks them. And then right. they, if they don't know what they're doing and they're going to shoot it four or five times, I grab the ammonia thing. you know i i don't think it's uh uh it's just being a workman who pulls out the right tool to build the right project yeah yeah of course i would like to cry eight nine times but if you're stupid enough to shoot it eight or nine times well i'm smart enough to go grab the because i don't want you to print the one where i don't cry right yeah right Exactly. exactly. Yeah, you're, you're you're you know you're at the mercy of whoever's putting it together. Yeah, and, and now the directors they're they're editing right on the set. Yeah, with some guy who's sending every edit back to the producer. Right. And I keep hearing I keep hearing cinematographers and cameramen saying you don't have this line on a single. Well, maybe I don't want that line on a single. Mm, now mm. maybe i don't you know but you get fired if you do that we used to get when i started a bit i did like seven cagney and Lacey's, and every time jackie cooper directed uh, most of my scenes were with tyne daly and you can't be a better actress than her she's just phenomenal he knew tyne and i always got to the set before the crew got there and mm. we would run our lines <laughs> and jackie would walk up and say oh my two horses what do you got for me? <laughs> we'd show him what to do, and he'd say, put the camera over here. We'd always shoot it in one pretty much all the time. He would do a cat in the window if he shot it more than once. 
But then he would go, let's go home. The crew loved him. But the producers loved him, too, because he saved them money as far as, you know, hourly pay and everything. Now he would be fired if he did that. Why didn't you cover it? Why didn't you have this line on a single? Why didn't you go tighter? It's all directed the same. A, A master shot that's used for the first line and the last line. And then one talking head after another. Yeah, no yeah. listening. Show you show young people uh, Abbott and Costello doing who's on first. They'll right. laugh their heads off. And then you say, look, there's no cuts. It's right. just the two of them. That's just... called timing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I the, the movie that always comes to mind whenever we talk about anything like this is The Deer Hunter. You yeah, watch I... the first 20 minutes of The Deer Hunter. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, there's probably three cuts in the yeah. first 20 minutes. And, but you feel like you're in a wedding in Pittsburgh. That's like, right. You feel like you're in the outskirts of Pittsburgh, which was the objective of the director and the writer. Make them feel you're, you're not in New York in a movie theater. Yeah. You're right. not in LA, you know, near Venice Beach. You are yeah. in Pittsburgh. I love that movie so much. Can you imagine how they would shoot those same scenes today? Oh, they wouldn't even have the wedding in it. Because no. they, they, it would, it would be that would be part of the director's cut. Yeah. Go to the golden age of television and watch the comedian directed by uh, Frankenheimer. Mm. There's an opening scene in there, and this was done live with the with the cameras that you could actually see in the scene. That took three people to operate. Wow. You had to have a guy who pushed the camera, a guy on the camera to, to keep it in frame, and a focuser. Wow. And that scene would take over a week to shoot today as a movie, and they did it live. Amazing. Ah, man. And, I, and see, I don't think directors are even told about this. They're told about editing and how to cut on every line, which is no editing, really. They they study music videos instead of great right. films. Yeah. Go watch Preston. Yeah, watch Preston Sturges hail the conquering hero. There's scenes with seven, eight guys in it, no cuts. They get this one scene goes almost eight minutes without a cut. Love it. I absolutely love it. I think that's what made the the that Michael Keaton movie. It was a Birdman. Birdman. Yeah. Yep. yeah. I was just gonna say. I was just gonna bring that up. That I mean, you watch that movie and you get so sucked in because. You feel like you're in the theater walking through it yeah. throughout the whole thing. Yeah, they, they actually have some subliminal cuts in there, but nothing like. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing yeah. Like but, no, nothing like that. But, but you but really feel is... like you're part of it. You know, like you you don't feel like you're watching, you know, from a, a, a whatever a bird's eye or whatever you call it. You feel like you're walking in it and you're in the movie. Yeah. Right. You're part of that's why again that's why you watch some of those old movies every holiday and you still cry when Jimmy Stewart says "At a boy, Clarence," right? You know, right? So, um, now I work. I'll give you a funny story about that. Yeah. I, I'm on the National Veterans Foundation, and you know, General Stewart was there because Jimmy Stewart <laughs> was a general, and the uh, he was in the Army Air Corps, but then was in the Air Force. He stayed in the reserve. So, uh, you know, and, and, and It's a Wonderful Life was a big flop. And I asked him about that. And he said, oh, yeah, we put Liberty Pictures out of business, which was Frank Capra and Billy Wilder's company. I think. Wow. William, too. 
it, it, that's how bad it bombed. They opened it in June. They had no idea it was a Christmas story. Wow. So I said, yeah, but it came such a classic. And I got one question. The scene with you and Donna Reed where on the phone may be the most romantic scene I've ever seen. And right away he said, oh, the way Frank directed it, because there's no cuts. He, we rehearsed it. And he said, okay, we're going to get ready for a shoot. And while Donna Reed and I were running our lines, he went and spoke to everybody on the crew. Mm. Then he said, action. And the second we finished the scene, he said, cut, go back to one, go back to one right now. Mm. And we started at that level. And that second take is what you see in the movie. And then Sidney Lumet said he read Capra's book. And when he did the scene with Peter Finch in Network, where he yells, I'm mad as hell. I don't want to, you know, I'm not going to take it anymore. He did the same thing. He spoke to everybody on the crew. He said, I don't want touch-ups. I don't want anybody to move a light. I don't care. And he did it. And as soon as it was over, he was literally pushed Peter Finch back and said, start again right now, right now. (laughs) So he had worked himself up. Now, that's great directing. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. it, and 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 even though there are cuts in it, they're not cuts from different takes. There were different cameras set up. Right. Yeah. Right. So, you know, and here's a funny one. I asked uh, General Stewart, I said, uh, you know, what I always wanted to know is why you and Donna Reed never did another movie. And he gave me some explanation about, well, you know, I was independent and she was went with a studio and she was unkind. Then he walked away and Robert Mitchum looked over and he went, bullshit. He said he had just got married and Gloria's wife saw that scene on the phone and said, you ain't ever working with her again. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's true, but that's what Mitchum said. (laughs) Yeah, Whether it's true or not, that's a great story. That's great. I love it. (laughs) Dan, we're going to do it. I I feel like we could talk forever. It's Uh, such a good guest. Anytime, anytime. I love this. Talking about acting here. Um, so we asked this question of all our guests real quick before we wrap up. I didn't prepare you for this, but I know you. I know I'm you, yeah, I know really you're looking forward to you're looking this. Forward to, I know you are. You're going to bang this out of the park. Give us your favorite three favorite films. Three out yeah, of all us, the films. Wow. But your three favorite now. Right now. It doesn't like have right to now. be of all time. Yeah, yeah, just, just right, right now. now. You have to well, pick if I, ha- I mean, I have over. Charlie Durning had 9,000 films. I, I, I have about 3,000. Uh, if I had to pick three, it would be uh, It's a Wonderful Life, The Best Years of Our Life, and Requiem for a Heavyweight or Marty. Yes! Oh, Requiem for a Heavyweight is definitely in my top ten love it. of all time. I love that movie. Absolutely love it. Dan, give us one more plug for the play. Oh, Just Another Day dot theater. That's the website. And okay. when we have set our dates, you can go there. You can read the reviews, and uh, I hope it. people will come. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna be plugging this away, we're, Dan. We're we'll gonna be pushing plug it out there. We're gonna plug away, and we're gonna be there for sure. All right. Dan. Well, then if you plug it, you're gonna get free tickets. So. No, you don't have to give us free, <laughs> no free tickets. tickets. We're, we're just we're, we're, we're supporting. This is what it's all about. Dan, thank you so much. Stay with us here. So we're just gonna real wrap up here. Uh, so mention our sponsor is uh, Central Jersey Nursery. 
uh, located in Hillsborough, New Jersey. Uh, great time, Thanksgiving, uh, the holidays. If you haven't got your Christmas tree, go to Central Jersey Nursery. Or a poinsettia. Uh, get yourself a poinsettia. Get yourself a nice Christmas tree. Make sure you tip those boys who are putting the stuff on, the, the trees and everything on the, on, those, uh, on the cars. Those boys are working real hard, so make sure you take care of them over there at Central Jersey Nursery, our sponsor for 624 Pod. Thank you again, Dan Loria. And uh, we'll talk to you. Uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Welcome to the Six Twenty Four Pod, your home for all things independent films. We're going to discuss all the positives and negatives when it comes to independent filmmaking. We're going to have incredible guests from the film industry talk about behind-the-scenes experience, the good, the bad, the ugly, and how the industry has changed in the past 10, 20 minutes. minutes. <laughs> yeah, minutes, hours, years. years. That's the point. It's always changing. And of course, we will always focus on independent filmmaking right here in our state of New Jersey. I'm Tom Baldinger. And I'm Mark Rigadana. All right, let's do this.